Hello there, and welcome to Consortio Day. This is a podcast about partnering with God to do sacred work. My name is John Chandler, and I'm a spiritual director. And much of my spiritual direction practice focuses on people who are in leadership roles in ministry and faith-based organizations, because that's my background as well. And one of the things I learned when I was in those kind of roles is it's hard to maintain your own faith journey, maintain your own connection with God and the work that you're doing. So this podcast and the spiritual direction work that I do is designed to help encourage people who are in roles like that stay connected. But I also find that many people have enjoyed some of these conversations, people do who do other kinds of work that aren't necessarily leadership in a faith-based organization. So whoever you are and whatever you might be coming here for, welcome. I, I hope you'll find these conversations encouraging for you. Uh, you might note that my schedule on these has been more sporadic lately, and I'm okay with that, and I hope you are. Occasionally, when I um, have opportunities to interview great people, I'm going to bring them to the table here and, and have great conversations with them. So please say stay subscribed, and you'll see more conversations come along the way. But I'm also giving myself permission to not maintain some kind of rigid publishing schedule in this season of life as I'm trying to do spiritual direction and care for my family and and all of those things. So I do want to tell you a little bit about one other thing that is uh, available for you that I've just made available. I have put together a spiritual retreat guide. I often uh, in my own life have felt the need to take a day away and just reflect. Um, I've even had jobs in ministry where that was expected or encouraged of me. Um, and sometimes I made the most of those days, and sometimes I wasn't sure how to use them. And then recently I was talking to another uh, leader in a faith-based organization, just talking about how he'd been given a day away, and he wasn't sure how to use it, how to have a little personal retreat day. And so that caused me to put together a resource that I already kind of had in the works for some other things, but it is a guide just on how to make the most of a personal retreat day or a spiritual retreat day, just to get away, to reflect to connect with God, see how things are going in your life, to look backward, to look forward. So I want to make that available to you. It's available at spiritualretreat.guide. It's also available uh, directly through my website. You can find it there, and that's honestly where the spiritualretreat.guide domain will take you. But I'd love to just make that available for you. You can enter your email, and you will find it in your inbox after doing that. Okay, so today my guest is Mindy Caliguire, and talk about somebody who is um, oh, just uh, a fellow traveler, as I talked with her. I enjoyed speaking with her so much. Mindy and uh, her husband started an organization called Soul Care, which she is now the co-founder and president of, and they walk alongside uh, people in much the same way I try to. Um, they're just much more developed at it at this point. And so I appreciated learning from her and hearing her story um, and all of the different resources they have available. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. I think they're doing great work with some of the retreats they offer, the spiritual direction they offer, and some other resources. Take a look at their website, uh, which she will mention during our podcast, and learn more about what's happening at Soul Care. And in the meantime, get a little taste of the beautiful work they're doing through this conversation with Mindy Caliguire. Well, Mindy, uh, here we go. It is it is good to be with you. I've heard so many good things about you from a mutual friend and been on your website and love what you're doing. So why don't you tell us about what you're doing? As I like to say, tell us about the context of your sacred work. 
Mm, well, thanks, John. Yeah, and I similarly have heard great things about you and the good work you're doing. Um, the sacred context uh, would be that myself and a growing team of very differently talented people, lots of different kinds of people are leaning in. Um, and the sacred context is that we're in a world right now that is really struggling with the well-being of their souls. Yeah. I think, you know, the places you would hope were stronger in the sense of soul health is what we think of it as, you know, oh, well, ministry people and full-time ministry are sometimes the ones that are in greatest levels of deficit. Mm -hmm, for sure. And then when you reach beyond that into, I don't know, business owners, moms and dads, people in academia, out school teachers, anyone in public service, serving serving industries, uh, as they are followers of Jesus, they too are in places of pretty heavy levels of deficit. Mm -hmm. And then if you extend beyond that, like the culture broadly, teenagers, Gen Z, yeah. like there's just so much malaise on health. And I've always felt, you know, the sacred context for me was that my own soul got completely wrecked when we were back doing ministry in um, Boston many years ago. And my journey out at that point was so profound, so life-changing mm. for me yeah. that, and I inadvertently sort of found myself stewarding this message for other people. Um, and, and so for decades now, I have felt that this is the central thing. This is the most important thing. This is, you know, and I often felt like a, you know, kind of the proverbial voice crying in the wilderness, like, Hey guys, you probably ought to think about this. People like, yeah, after we achieve all the things, then we'll maybe think about that when we have nothing better yeah. to do with our time. It's kind of what it felt like. Mm. Um, but once the pandemic hit, John, like it yeah. just changed. So the sacred context right now, as you know, I just feel like the world's on fire. Like everybody in it, yeah. you know, today, I don't know when people will be listening to this, but it, you know, just turned to the first of the year yeah. and people are not okay. <laughs> They're not doing well. Yeah. And so that is the context that I find myself in and find our, our team finds our work in. Yeah. Uh, I, I just had, I just had coffee this morning with a friend I hadn't um, really been in touch with for since before the pandemic and uh, did not know, but, you know, found out in meeting with him that his, you know, marriage had fallen apart and just some things surfaced for his spouse and in the pandemic, you know, and he just said, I just wonder if the pandemic hadn't hit how different the result might be, you know, but just because it, yeah. it caused us all to really actually pay attention to some of the things that were going on. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious. Um, Cause I was talking with a, another friend who does a lot of spiritual formation book, a, a lot of spiritual formation work. Um, and he feels like that, some of the attention people were paying after the pandemic is slowly starting to recede again, and they're getting back into their old ways. Are you experiencing that much? I do think there's some of that, and perhaps that's good that it's not as dire as it seemed mm -hmm. for a season. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what I think about that. I, I feel like I hear dissonant voices mm -hmm. to that end that are like, hey, let's just like kind of it's time to ready up and go. And I guess the kind of major sort of 
large scale pushback that I see happening with that is, is this whole return to work, like people going back to offices and companies requiring their employees. And I can see it kind of from both sides. It's like, okay, buck up little campers. Let's, you know, this is the way work was for a hundred years or more. And now there's a, there's a, a a pretty profound, deep refusal to go back to a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what that means, John. I don't know how to, I don't know how to read that data point. Um, but I, I do think no matter whether or not some of the, the urgency is receding a little bit, perhaps that could be the case. Some of the, you really must focus on this might be waning for people whose lives are sort of able to kind of restabilize somehow. Right. Um, but, but if nothing else, everyone has a new vocabulary that they didn't have three years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. If nothing else, everyone has a greater sense of the fact of mental health issues, the fact of like the, the, I I don't think the issue of isolation, for example, has been solved at large. Yeah. And so I think there are still many things that it could have been in like the, your friend's marriage, which I'm so sorry to hear that. And I've heard of other very similar stories. It's like, was there a, a flaw in the thing that got, you know, pronounced and noticed because right. of the stressors or did the thing, did those stressors actually create yeah. the thing that broke? And we don't, we don't know, but I, I think for a lot of people, well, I, I quote this friend of mine all the time. This is just a terrible analogy, but it's hilarious. Um, and it's good to insert a little humor while you can. Uh, he he <laughs> said during the pandemic that it was like we were all, you know, we'd all been swimming naked, but all of a sudden the tide went out. Yeah. And, and I think we're fully exposed. Yeah. Yeah. There was this like, weren't we always not well? Yeah. But all of the scaffolding that kept us held together just crumbled in a matter of yeah. That's a great metaphor. Yeah. But uh, but I think to your point, just having the vocabulary is so helpful, right? Because we can just being able to now put language to things that we might have been numb to before is significant. Oblivious, unwilling to look at, numb, any number of things we did not have words for and now we do yeah well you alluded to story your own story about Mm. what got you to this you know to begin this work that you're doing now what what what's the version of that story that you're able and willing to share in this context with faceless strangers (laughs) yeah (laughs) always willing generally able if i'm not but the fault is not with me uh the context or the story was, you know, my husband and I had met in college. We were sort of had all the brand name affiliations you'd want at that point in the late eighties, early nineties. He'd gone to Ivy League school. We mm-hmm. he had been to Dallas Seminary. We were part of a ministry up in the Northeast Camp of the Woods. You know, that was sort of the best of the best in that tiny little echo chamber or ecosystem that we were sure. part of. But still, it was all. That and then we interned, did a church planting internship at Willow Creek. We 
you know, we had done all these different things with Ben Park Campus Crusade, you know, all these, all these sort of blue chip at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, ministry contexts and freshly minted came out of that church planting internship at Willow and felt very clearly led to Boston mm-hmm. and uh, did a hard thing, which is church planting. You've done that more than once. It sounds like we did it hard thing in a hard place. New England is not, and Boston in particular is For not sure. the easiest yeah. environment to start a church. And we did it in the hardest possible way. We, we, we started our own 501c3. We had no sending organization. We had no guaranteed mm-hmm. financing up front. We, we, we just parachute drop went into a context. Yeah. And um, yeah, so in hindsight, utterly predictable, but uh, five years in, I began having physical manifestations of the level of stress that I was experiencing. And I had no language for that. We were just talking about like not having any language or imagination for stuff like depression or any of that mind body stuff now that we pay so much attention to and rightly so, but I was clueless and, and thinking I was working hard and doing all the right things. I just kept pressing and pressing and pressing, you know, it's like you stay up late, you keep doing more things, you start more small groups, you recruit more volunteers, you get more fundraising, you just push and push and drive and drive and drive. And, uh, and I, and I hit a wall, hit a, Mm -hmm. I woke up one morning and couldn't see straight and turned out I had some weird stuff going on neurologically, cerebellum, optic nerve. Wow. It was um, not, not, uh, I had no uh, work, nothing. I had no idea what was going on yeah. and, uh, and started some pretty grumpy conversations with God about like, Hey, what gives I'm on your team. This isn't right, strategic, right. you know, like all of these things aren't happening and I'm so essential to what's happening here. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. So, um, Really, I, I can belabor any of that that you want to listen to, but it was months long. It led me into a desert kind of experience of like, I, I don't understand what's going on here. This is not a picture of life to the full. Um, this is not streams of living water <laughs> coming yeah. out of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it, I, I did have many graces that came to me in that season one was i was pretty sure that if things weren't working out it was probably not god's fault and that i there was probably something amiss in how i was perceiving how this whole thing was supposed to work right and i think that was a grace i i feel i feel for folks who who kind of put end up feeling like they're putting god on on the you know trial for yeah what's going wrong in their life. And um, that sounded really harsh, but I, I, I didn't for whatever reason, and I would assume it's a grace. I think it was the Lord's hand that my heart just didn't turn toward that blame or resentment toward God. Um, But I did have this like, Oh, this is, this doesn't work. This sort of beating your head up against a wall and working harder and harder like somehow there was in that this whisper of like, what if that wasn't 
what I was asking you to do? Mm-hmm. What if what if that wasn't what if you were saluting smartly to something other than the Holy Spirit? Right. Which, wow, let's call that sin. <laughs> and uh and said so the grace was an invitation to actually kind of jettison the whole sort of MO of ministry that I had probably quite unconsciously adopted. And let's just believe the best about any of those ministries that had been training voices in my life. Sure. sure. I had the interior architecture to hear whatever was being said as a drive and a performance-based thing. No matter what was or wasn't being said by any of those wonderful in some cases and complex in all cases environments. Um, I, I have to own that I all too quickly surrendered intimacy with God for the sake of getting stuff done. Mm -hmm. So that was the invitation. That was my story. So God just graciously brought mentors and books, authors, willingness, uh, people in my small group who had been part of 12-step communities who really helped me understand brokenness and desperation Mm -hmm. in a way that the church generally didn't feel very comfortable with and I didn't feel comfortable with. Yeah. And what was the timeline for all this? Oh, gosh. You mean like how long did it take or what How long ago was this? A long time ago. Uh, so, yeah. like long before this, these conversations were commonplace in ministry circles. Oh, long no, before. no, no. Yeah. yeah this was yeah. 95. Yeah. This all happened in March of 95. Yeah. And I couldn't like walk again or drive or normal things for months. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took the better part of maybe a year and a half, two years before my soul was healthy enough that I yeah. started experiencing again, my own natural energies, but coming from overflow instead of from deficit. Right. Yeah. So you had a beautiful and authentic goal to jump in and start something new out of your passion for God. And you started mm-hmm. a church and it led to this. And so out of that, you yeah. had a beautiful and authentic goal to start something else, which is of spiritual significance. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the same thing, but a different context. But but obviously the story is different now. So what does it look like for you? Because I, and I I asked this, and I, you know, obviously I asked that question a little tongue-in-cheek, but there's elements and seasons of my life when I was in ministry where I can identify with what you're saying for sure, especially church planting, I think. But I think in all ministry, that's true. Um, There's elements of what you're saying I can identify with now as a spiritual director. (laughs) Totally. For sure. And so that say, I'm sure many can identify with what you're saying and even have some sense of, is this thing that I'm doing sustainable? So now here we are, you know, now decades past this time and you're doing this vitally um, authentic and beautiful work and apparently seeing straight and doing well. Um, I'm sure you still have your own degree of brokenness, but how, how, how have you been able to find the, the overflow? I I've often said, it's a very good question. Um, 
and, and more nuanced than when people say, so how do you care for your soul? Like it's the trick mm-hmm. question. Like I, mm-hmm. like I don't do this anymore for myself. <laughs> um, because you're right. The, the temptations are s- the same. Sure. Yeah. They, the appeal to darker parts of my own soul is the same. I feel like one of the gifts I was given in that season was what I think of as a deep refusal Mm. that I, I just, I feel like that way of life got exposed for what it is and it lost its appeal. Yeah. Like something got seared off. Is my life and schedule full sometimes? For sure. Do I find myself in seasons of constraint that I don't know how it's going to work out? For sure. Um, But the appeal to throw it into a high level of overdrive as the solution has has not really come back. Mm. Um, And I... I, there's a there's another stark kind of I don't know this whole swimming naked thing might be a theme here for us, but mm-hmm. I don't know this firsthand, but I've heard it quoted that I think it was G.K. Chesterton, and I think he was telling a firsthand story of himself or of someone he knew, where he was swimming in some river in India. And on one side of the river had entered the water, was swimming, whatever. And on the other side, at a distance, he could see a woman bathing. And he was, in his account, overcome with lust and started swimming toward her. Mm -hmm. I don't know what he intended to do, but that's, as the story goes, he got closer and finally realized that the woman was leprous. Hmm. and was missing limbs or parts of her face or whatever, which could not be seen at a distance. And of course, exited as fast as he possibly could. The the illusion of the temptation was in an instant, no longer hard to Mm -hmm. overcome that temptation. The illusion of it was dispelled. Yeah. And I think something of that happened for Hmm. me. Um, the illusion of, oh, if I just work harder and if I'm just smart enough and if I just ratchet it up a little bit more, right. like when I feel that start to churn and I can feel when that, when that thing starts to churn, it has that same like, oh, whoa, 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 wait, wait, we know, we know where, <laughs> we know where this goes. This is, this is not the tempting thing that you think it is. Yeah. And you know, as a recovering alcoholic, like all I can say is today, I have not done that. Yeah. I, I in humility, want to say, you know, and I, I think I said it to my team earlier today or last week sometime, like, you know, if you guys see me starting to do any of that, like, take me out back, <laughs> like, put me out of my misery rather than allowing that to happen because it's not life. It's yeah. not what God is inviting us into. And it's just, there's such a better story available to us. And I also, I guess, another protection over many years 
this is good for younger leaders to know this. It's like, you see how absurd in hindsight, the things you were pushing so hard for mm. were right. that you like missed your kids thing for that you, yes, like yeah. whatever else you did that in the end, nobody cared about. It didn't even turn out to be the thing everyone thought it would. Yeah. And then you also realize there are things that <laughs> friends of mine, their name for God is Jehovah Sneaky. There were things that Jehovah Sneaky had in store mm. that you could never have built a strategic plan towards. You would never have presumed to think about this other thing. Like I call them a scenario Q. It's like you're thinking about scenario A, B, and C, but like God is way at the other end of the alphabet. And like God throws enough scenario Qs in your path that you start looking at like, oh, what's my five-year plan? It's like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, yeah. okay, yes, I still have to do the work of those things, but never is my confidence in that work. Yeah. My confidence has to be in the God of whatever scenario he wants to invite me into and allow to unfold in my life. And even the ones that look so heinous at the time, the gift of decades later is that you get to see the proverbial rest of those stories. Yeah. And it gives you more faith when you're in the next, like, Oh no, now what? And I, I would imagine Sorry, I'm probably not answering your question. No, you're doing great. You're doing great. <laughs> I would imagine now, you know, you still have scenario A, B and C and get presented with scenario Q um, as an organizational leader, as a human. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I feel like much of the work that, you know, I'm, trying to invite people to do even within spiritual direction and trying to figure out myself is how, how can I even be attentive to when scenario Q is because scenario A, B and C look so good and they're so compelling and they'll work they worked for those people over there or those people over there. So what, what is it that you have learned along the way to, to know when scenario Q is even available <laughs> and to be responsive to it. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, in Isaiah, the gods are saying, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Mm. Yeah. Do you not perceive it? And I think that's, I think God is a constantly generative being, yeah. constantly doing yes, new yes. things. New creation. But the question is, will we perceive it? Yeah. And that's an achy question. Do you not perceive it? So you're right. It's it's not God's capacity to engage us in a scenario that we could not have foreseen. It's can I untangle my little grip on scenarios A, B, or whatever to even notice what's happening over here? Yeah. And there is spiritual work in that. I think. And that's where spiritual directors are so vital yeah, yeah. to the journey for leaders, I think, because we still bear responsibility for what's going on over here. Yeah. And other people are depending on us to show up in ways that allow an organization to move forward. Yes. Yeah. But there, I'm finding my great my team's greatest hope in me is that I'm paying attention to Q. Yeah. <laughs> they all know. Maybe I've trained them. They all know that Mindy's best ideas are not what's going to get us to <laughs> where mm. we're going. Yeah. Um, 
And that allows me to hold it lightly at the same time that it it can be just terrifying. Yeah. It can just be terrifying. And as I look to the record of scripture, I don't see anybody who was used of God as part of a grand drama of his intervention to bring healing and redemption into our world hmm. who had it all buttoned down. Yeah. A five-year plan or a one-year plan. <laughs> any of it. Any yeah. of it. And I do believe we should be stewards of those things. Yes, for sure. We are moving those things forward, but we hold, our, it's to me, it's a matter of what's my confidence in. Mm-hmm. And when I face a limit, what do I do with that? And like my word for the year, like this, you know, the last 48 hours was like, I think this word for this year is going to be the word ask. Mm. Because my midnight struggles, my wake up and have to walk through the 23rd Psalm and pray through the Lord's Prayer. And I'm so grateful for all those practices. They hold me. Yeah. But when confronted with constraint, with a disappointment, with a whatever, I mean, Jesus could not be more clear to ask and keep on asking, to seek Mm. and keep on seeking, to knock and keep on knocking. And I think it's through the asking, seeking, knocking, even if I think I'm asking about scenario A, that keeps me open to when Q shows up. Yeah. And that requires so much humility. It really does. And And in our... In our culture and in our church culture, we're celebrating leaders who have clarity, certainty, certainty, vision, um, and ask, seek, and knock is just an act of humility, mm-hmm. right? So I, I wonder what it's looking like then in the work that you know Soul Care is doing. How, how do you? What tools do you offer or practices do you offer to invite people into into that level of humility, that level of authentic dependency? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I, I would love to have it be true that it's humility in our in our lives. I do think it is about dependency that you just said. Mm-hmm. I think it's about what what do we conceive that this world that we're working in is? Is there an invisible God who is at work, who is for us, who is with us? And if so, what does that mean with how we arrange our lives to be receiving our life from that invisible God moment by moment, day by day, so that we can walk in guidance and direction and conversational, even relationship with that God. And so as an organization, like what does soul care do? Like we do, we have, we have spiritual direction that we offer through our team of directors. We have uh, an online community that holds space for different ways of trying to help people engage their journey with God. Like we have these monthly, we call them semi-silent retreats, kind of Mm -hmm. a joke, but like everything is about helping people engage directly with God. And sometimes we do that through other people, through structured like reflection guides, that kind of stuff. But uh, ultimately, we we like to believe that we're helping invite people into a way of life that uh, allows their soul to stay mm-hmm. intimately connected in real time with God so that they can be receiving their life from God and direction and openness and healing and whatever God wants to do on um, whatever God's timeline might be. 
Um, but there are, you know, time tested, as you well know, practices and ways to orient our life and our and our days without becoming rigid or mechanical. But right. there's ways to align ourselves to the life of God in us and and around us. And I think when we do that, it, we stay more clear that it's God who's driving, not us. And and we are invited into what he's doing. It's a much, much better for the soul posture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm curious, as you, as you teach practices or invite people into practices, you know, who are in these seasons in ministry, do you find that there are some practices that just have resonance with just about everyone who's in this space? Or do you find that it seems to be almost unique for every person to find the practices that fit them the best? It's a very context specific question because my sort of general ecosystem is people who probably were taught that their spiritual life looked a certain way. Right. And so for people like that, which is who I'm with most of the time, practices like silence. Yeah. So hard and yeah. yet yeah. pretty universally transformational. Okay. Yeah. Spiritual direction makes no sense for most people. Like I have to explain <laughs> it and then I have yeah. to explain yeah. it again. And then when I explain it, I'm like now questioning myself going like, is that what it is? Am I saying it right? Like we have, we lack so much language and imagination. And frankly, if I could take an issue for this, like that is the wrong, I don't know what it should be called, but that's the most confusing thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Spiritual direction. Oh, where you can have a relationship with someone who won't tell you what to do. Oh, they don't give you direction, but they're a spiritual director. Like figure that out. I don't I think know. David Benner agrees with you. So you're in good company there. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, silence, spiritual direction, um, any sort of way of life or rule of life or intentionality around mm -hmm. one's structures for rhythms and those kinds of things, we think of it as a page, a person, and a plan that everybody needs the, the invitation to reflection, connection, and intention. Um, so those are things, you know, I'm surprised we've been talking about journaling at Soul Care since like 98. Hmm. And I, I keep thinking, oh, surely nobody wants to talk about this anymore. And it is still a very important and helpful practice. Yeah. That many leaders in particular don't realize how I believe anyone's leadership capacity is capped, like literally mm. as a ceiling Yeah, at their capacity for self-reflection. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of leaders, that's news to them. Yeah. And it feels like a waste of time. And I get that. Yeah. I, I was there. I, I get that. But. So I would say, I'm just kind of restating here, journaling, silence, mm. spiritual friendship or spiritual direction, whatever a person. There you go. David Benner likes spiritual friendship. So you're. <laughs> I do too. I like that. Yeah. And then uh, another practice that seems pretty universally uh, helpful. Well, actually, it's kind of escaping my head now that I was about to say it. I might have been about to say the whole idea of just solitude and taking time away. Yeah. It's just hard to do, even if you're fully in line. Like that's part of why we started these semi-silent retreats every month is like, I, I am, I've given my whole life to this message of soul care. And even I was like, 
I can't seem to take half a day a month mm-hmm. just for solitude. Right. Like that's not, that's not like crazy. Like you should be able to do that. And especially once the kids were older and stuff like that. And it's like, it just yeah. wasn't happening. Yeah. And so I was like, well, maybe I need to invite something, create something that I invite other people into and see how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been better. I've been, I've had better odds since creating it. And, uh, and now tons of people get to enjoy it, which is great. So uh, those are some of the practices. Oh, I know the other one that I was thinking of. Thanks for letting me diesel for a little bit there. <laughs> um, Emmanuel journaling. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I am finding that God meets with people in some really powerful ways when we mm. walk them through some very simple prompts to Emmanuel journaling. So our mm. course that we have uh, that's called Strengthening Our Souls or SOS for kind of short tongue in cheek. Yeah. Um, Emmanuel journaling, we hear a lot from people that that is one of the most helpful practices and that yeah. gets addressed in that course. Uh, oftentimes when I suggest that as a practice, when I'm working with somebody in direction, the initial response is terror <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, because it, it does require a lot of a new level of vulnerability and awareness. even, you know, even from people who I consider to be very, very eager to be self-aware and attentive um yeah it's uh what 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 don't you briefly describe because it's not that commonly well known i don't think um no i was introduced you to describe it, what it is yeah through a book called i think it was called joyful journey by uh, dr jim wilder and his yeah, his colleagues yeah. and the four steps as i recall and, and i i i've had it adapted in different ways that in a course that he was teaching on um narcissist and all that kind of stuff he he, mm. he lives out here in colorado too yeah, it's great. yeah um but essentially one begins almost like a journaling experience with reflection on something that you're grateful for and some of the neuroscience around that is that you're actually allowing your your mind your brain to get flooded with the right mm. context for the kind of processing that you're about to go through in communing with god so you start with this reflection on something you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. And then the idea of Emmanuel journaling is that it's a God with us journaling Emmanuel. Wow. And so it's not just me and my thoughts, it's me and talking to God and listening to God interactively with my thoughts. So after that, think the processes you move into inviting God to speak to you about that thing that you're grateful for. Yeah. And the way we were coached on it was just to write in the journal after writing about what we were grateful for, to write my dear child yep. and just see how the Lord would fill that. Yeah. Then the third part, again, I might be morphing a couple of these different things, was to talk about or to write about something that felt like a struggle, something that was hard. Um, in the case of the the loving our enemies um portion, it was to write about a situation where someone it felt had triggered mm-hmm. an enemy response in you that you felt like you, uh, your defenses came up and whether you said or did anything, it just was an internal awareness or maybe you acted on it, but to write about that incident. And then the last part, and this is the specific part of a manual journaling. That's a little different than maybe what was in joyful journey, but is the one that I 
I work with people the most on because most leaders we we've been hurt. <laughs> yeah, and we've yeah. got some work to do around loving enemies, and uh, and the, so the last question after writing about that incident is to ask God, what do you want me to know about loving that person? Mm. Which back to your point is an incredibly vulnerable question to ask. Yeah. 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 And and I think the reason why that's such a meaningful practice, I know it would have been for me when I was in ministry and and, and it's still an intimidating practice to me, but so much of our understanding of our relationship with God comes from the ministry work that we're doing itself, the lessons we're writing or whatever that may be, or the response we get from others to the ministry work that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And we just don't often get to like have that God with this moment, you know, that thought rhyming, you know, as the phrase goes mm-hmm. in journaling. So I appreciate you sharing that. I, you know, I, I will not respect our, our time here. Um, I, I just mostly threw most of my normal questions out the window because I've been just enjoying this conversation with you. So <laughs> I, I do want to ask one of my normal questions though, for you. Let's because, hear it. Um, I think it's probably still a very relevant question for you and one that I just think we all need to be aware of. And it relates to what we've been saying about self-awareness, which is mm. how do you know when you aren't doing well? For me, uh, I find it helpful to, well, it is part of my reflection in the mm-hmm. mornings usually. Um, so you, you you won't know if you don't pause to yeah consider but when you pause and consider what are you looking for and for me i think of them as symptoms of soul on health or soul neglect it's benign neglect nobody sets out to trash the well-being of your soul but right yeah and we have a soul health assessment that's based on some of this uh that's on our website that anybody can go to if they're interested but our uh for me those i think each person's symptoms of when they've begun to disconnect from God in real time. It's not that their beliefs have changed. It's just that connection is what starts to dissipate or the sense of connection. God hasn't gone anywhere. It's us having felt it. And when, when we start to disconnect, um, there's just these symptoms that emerge in us. And again, I've got tons of content and articles and things I've done about that. If anybody wants to read more, but, um, I think they're unique for each person Mm. or perhaps they vary by season, but I think they're usually more tied to some of our gifting, some of our wounds Yeah, that, that starts to be pretty unique to the way you show up in the world. And so that inner churn that I was talking about earlier, that's one of my symptoms when I start thinking, Oh, if I could just do better, stronger, faster, harder, like that's a symptom to me, not, a happy invitation. That's like when I, I swim towards it and realize, Oh no, that is leprous. Like that, there's nothing about that that is appealing to me, but it tells me something about my soul's condition. Mm-hmm. And uh, other ones for me is I get super judgy. Mm. Yeah. For every, towards a lot of other people, but usually that critic is also pointing inward and there's just a, just a judgy spirit. Um, that has a stronger voice than whatever normal is. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a lot of things, a lot of symptoms. Um, 
but those are two that for me show up drivenness and being super judgy. But I appreciate that because I think that's, I think that the reason I wanted to ask that specific question is I feel like for anyone who's in any kind of role of ministry or spiritual leadership, like when you talk about your capacity for self-reflection as your cap, like that's a question to spend some time with and just rest. Like, do I know when I'm not, can, can, do I have enough awareness of self to know? And um, I think our awareness of God, and this is not original with me by any means. Uh, I think our awareness of God is directly tied to our awareness of self. So I, I appreciate that. Well, to close then, you know, the, the ministry is soul care, soulcare.com. You've mentioned a couple of mm-hmm. things, but you know, if somebody is just hearing this and going, I need that, like what would you say yeah. would be some initial steps other than going to the website that might be helpful for them to take? Yeah. Well, first, do that considering the well-being of your own soul. Like pause, realize mm-hmm. how important this is. Um don't, especially if you feel like you're in deficit, like be willing to like stop the trains and yeah, just sit down, take half an hour. Like you have half an hour. I don't care how busy your life is. You have half an hour to go somewhere private and actually be honest with God about how you're doing. Yeah. Write it down. Yeah. Write it down. Uh, from that, like there's, tons of ways our ministry and many other organizations I think are well suited, but that's the, when people say like, what's the one thing, if I want to take care of my soul, what's the one thing. And I'm kind of like, first of all, I have a whole other thought about that, but why do we need one thing? But a page, a person in a plan is a really memorable way to say, I, I need that reflection. I need to build that into my life. I need to learn how to do it. Maybe have somebody walk me through it download a journaling guide, whatever, you got to move to reflection. And then you have to move into connection. People, I I just think this whole self-improvement fallacy is exactly that. It's like we, you've got to be known. So I love your ministry. I love the work you're doing. I love the spiritual direction you're making available to leaders because Mm -hmm. it's a vital component to recovering the well-being of soul and then ongoing maintaining that discernment and commitment to one's own health in the midst of your leadership. That's vital. Uh, and then a plan, like what, like it's the beginning of the year where we offer our, a soul care plan that yeah. people can, you know, download and start processing through or take a group through as part of like a retreat, but like, let's bring some intentionality around it. Let's reflect on our well being across the different dimensions of flourishing. And then, Mm-hmm. See how the Lord might be inviting us into something that's like the structure of a trellis isn't isn't yes. yeah doesn't cause the growth. It's not the same as the growth, but it just yeah. provides something for a living thing to climb on. And your soul needs that. Every yeah. every soul needs that. Yeah. Yeah. So those well, are just some things. Yeah. Mindy, thank you so much. I, I would I would be glad to have this conversation continue for three more hours, I'm sure. Especially if, uh, I especially if I was letting you do most of the talking. I'll just keep throwing questions. Oh, uh, no, I want to hear more. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, but yeah, Thanks I appreciate um, the invitation. Yeah. And I know I canceled on you once. So I appreciate your grace and letting me reschedule so that we can uh, share these words with so many other people. 
Oh, well, it's an honor to be part of what you're doing here, John. Thank you Thank so you. much for your work and for how you hold some sacred space for people all mm-hmm. over the place. It's Thank really you. important work. Keep it up. And, and you've alluded to it already, and this will publish soon. So I will say Happy New Year. Oh, <laughs> Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> all, right. <laughs> all right. Thanks. Cindy. Take good care. Bye.